Good morning, my name's Roger, one of the pastors here. And I just saw these funny things, so this is just an icebreaker. These are real things of churches. Communication is very important. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. Now is a good time to visit our pastors on vacation. <laughs> Do you know what hell is? Come here, our preacher. <laughs> well, I pray that I'll do a better job than that. <laughs> Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the great men and women who have gone before us. Lord, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And as we begin this new series, God's Generals, as we look at the lives of men and women around the world, Lord God, we pray that we would be inspired. Lord, we would not hold back, but Father, in our families, in our marriages, with our children, in the workplace, Lord God, in the marketplace, we would bring your kingdom with innovation, with prophecy, Lord God, with miracles, signs, and wonders. We pray you'd use us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin a new sermon series, four to five weeks long, and it's called God's Generals. Now, Deal Moody lost his father when he was about four years old, and they were so poor. They were so poor that he had to get shipped out and uh, earn his own board and keep as a very young child, seven, eight years old. And he was, uh, his salary was uh, milli meal and milk three times a day. And yet God used him so mightily. He started the Moody Institute. He developed this tract that you didn't need a language for. It was a gospel tract without, without words. And through him, thousands, tens of thousands of people got saved, even though he started in such poverty. And he said, the world is yet to see what God, what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And by God's help, I am to be that man. Can we take the example of these men and women who have gone before us? We can look at from four different continents. Some are alive, some have passed on, um, who have been so great. And can we say, Lord, in my space, can I be fully consecrated to you? Can I be that man that you can use, that woman that you can use? The verse that we're going to have as an overarching theme all the way through is Acts 1 verse 8, so well known, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I know for me, I have these days where everything just sings. I'll go into meetings, I know exactly what I need to do, I can hear the Holy Spirit, and His power comes, and it's amazing. And then some days, I'm not pressing into God. I know you're surprised. And everything is just long and hard because I'm not moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we be people that are full of the Holy Spirit? And if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, and if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, straight after the service, we're going to lay hands on people. It's a gift from Jesus. He's the baptizer, and he just uses us to lay hands on you. So if you're not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit, or if you don't speak in tongues and you want to speak in tongues, then straight after the service, just please avail yourself of this. We're going to look today at an African hero. We're going to start with an African hero. Someone who the church that I I used to be part of 25 years ago really benefited from very directly. And I've I've mentioned him to you before briefly, but I'm going to go into detail about him. And he was described in Time magazine back in 1959 as the Black Billy Graham. There was such power, there was such grace, there was such change through his ministry. So many people were saved, healed, delivered. And Time Magazine says the following, 
his ministry resulted in the crime rate dropping by as much as a third in some areas. At one meeting, the police took away three van loads of stolen goods and weapons that people surrendered when he came to Christ. It is not unusual for Evangelist Bengu to end up by walking to the police station hand in hand with someone on the wanted list. Isn't that amazing? Just the conviction and the power of God. I just want to say this. Whatever place you are in, whatever sin you are bound by, whatever stuff you are doing, there's grace and there's mercy in Jesus Christ. And he was used mightily. Now, as I tell his story, I'm going to speak in the first person. And then later on, I will take one of his favorite scriptures and I'll preach it. And that's the pattern that we're going to use all the way through. So allow me to speak in the first person as if, as if it was him himself. As I look back at my life, I'm astounded that our God and our Father would have used me, a humble servant, to do so many things. They say that I was the greatest evangelist in the 20th century. I don't know about that. I do know that I love God, and I love people, and I just did what seemed right and what any Christian would do. I was born Nicholas Beckenkorsi Hepworth Bengu on the 5th of September, 1909. You call it KwaZulu-Natal. In those days, it was Zululand. My father, Josiah, was an evangelist with the Lutheran mission. I never received any formal education. I self-studied, reading newspapers and magazines. Later on, I attended night school in Durban. We grew up very poor. All I would eat was samplies. I came to despise them, so much so that I made sure that I never gave them to my five children. One of my earliest part-time jobs, and we were all encouraged to get part-time jobs, was to go buy meat for a white man for his dogs. After doing that and never eating any of the meat, I was put off dogs for life. <laughs> In my teens, I identified with the oppression of apartheid. And so I joined the unions, the Industrial and Commercial Workers Union. And soon after that, I joined the Communist Party. I saw in the Communist Party a way forward for South Africa and for the black man in particular. All through my life, I had dealings with the South African government, the old apartheid government, with the tribal chiefs, with the ANC, and with the PAC. But I never aimed to please man. Many people find me to be too radical, and many find me not to be radical enough. In 1929, when I was only 21 years old, I was dragged to a full gospel revival meeting in Kimberley. The preaching gripped me. They spoke from Isaiah 53 of the suffering Christ, and I was cut to the heart. But I had a major wrestle regarding this decision of following Jesus Christ and receiving him as my Lord and Savior. Reason being, I was loyal to communism. I also had a girlfriend who I thought I loved, and I was entangled with her, and I didn't want to disappoint her. But the conviction of the Lord was was heavy upon my soul, but I still refused to go forward. They made the altar call, and I stayed in my seat. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit did not let up with me. After the service, I sheepishly went down to speak to one of the preachers. 
to speak to him about my relationship with God. He prayed for me. The following morning when I woke up, I found that the most wondrous transformation had happened. I reached for the alcohol that was next to my bed, and when I smelt it, it made me sick. God had changed me from the inside out. And so I began an incredible journey of following Jesus. I'm ever grateful for evangelist Job Chaliza, an anointed man, a powerful preacher, who discipled me, who trained me, and he launched me into ministry. I tried to go back to the Lutheran church where my father was. I wanted to share the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ with them. They weren't very happy. They called me a heretic, and I was excommunicated. This wasn't the first time that I was excommunicated from a church. <laughs> I started preaching wherever I went, telling people about the goodness of God, telling people about relationship that they could have with the Father. And I met some incredible men who I formed gospel partnerships with for life, great men like Gideon Butlesi and Alfred Gomeri. I realized that I needed a wife. And I met and married Marlet and Ledla. She was a student nurse. She never qualified in the end. She stood by me. She was beautiful. She was charismatic and a powerful woman of God. I'd actually met her mother before then. And I asked her, I was so impressed with her mother, if she had any daughters that I could marry. <laughs> Just taking off that voice. When you're single, you believe in finding your own wife or husband. When you get married and have children, all of a sudden you believe in arranged marriages. Just saying. If any of you would like an arranged marriage, just come speak to me afterwards. Marlet was a godly woman who stood by me through good times and through bad. She helped me so much in my ministry. God blessed us with five beautiful children. Sadly, Marlet died of tuberculosis in 1971. I wrote a poem, which I spoke at a funeral. You can read it. Telling of our love and our lives and our commitment to God and to each other. Many years later, I remarried Margutemba, my second wife, a great woman, a school principal. We had no children, but clearly I'm a man who needs help. My ministry seemed to increase. I preached both to black and to white audiences. I remember this was 50 years ago. Sorry, this was 50 years before apartheid ended. We would travel from one town to another, pitching a tent, and I would preach for at least an hour at a time. Thousands would come to hear me preach. Some would come for spiritual enlightening. Some would come for healing. Thousands would accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God, would, God was so faithful. We saw so many supernatural healings. We saw deliverance from demonic spirits, and we see, saw so many people coming to Christ. One of the highlights for me was when the Tutsis came, when they got saved, when they would hand over their stolen goods, guns, knives, all sorts of weapons, and then I'd walk into the police station to hand themselves over. Wherever we were received, and I could really preach, there would be a reduction of crime and violence. There would be weeping in the meetings, as conviction fell, and after we went, there would be joy as people lived out their lives in the presence of God. 
God opened the door in a wondrous way in East London. And so we built a large church there in Duncanville. Later, we moved to Imdansani, a township just outside of East London, because of the Group Areas Act. And there we built a 4,000-seater, which was unheard of in the 1950s. Around this time, we started the Back to God movement, which became part of the Assemblies of God. Now then, we were the only charismatic, or rather Pentecostal denomination, that was both multicultural and not led solely by white people. We all led. It was the best man for the job, which in this case was me. I opened the Pilgrim Bible School in Port Elizabeth, and we planted many churches. I was directly involved in planting 50 churches, but through our ministry, hundreds were planted. Now, these churches were black. They were autonomous. They were self-governing. They were self-supporting and especially self-propagating that they were called on a mission to start churches themselves. In the 1990s, this Back to God movement was renamed the Assemblies of God movement. But by then, I'd already passed on to be with the Lord. I guess people would describe me as a black consciousness leader in that I emphasized black self-reliance. Having said that, I still built with white, colored, and Indian leaders all through the struggle and all through apartheid. Some people said this was a mistake, but for me, they were and they are my brothers. I always emphasized miracles because there was such need. I always made a point of church planting, and I always imparted to people the, the importance of personal stewardship, that each of us are called to steward our finances. We're called to steward our marriages. We're called to raise our children well. But my biggest emphasis through it all, through it all, was to turn back to God. A verse that I used many times was in Zechariah 1 through 2 to 5, and it goes, return to me, and I will return to you. Do not be like your ancestors, to whom the prophet proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. And so many turned. Thousands upon thousands and thousands responded to the call to turn from their wicked ways. And it didn't matter who they were, rich, poor, black, white, educated, uneducated, they came. And I'm so grateful that the Lord used me to do this. I went to be with the Lord on the 17th of October, 1985. And I gave very express wishes regarding my funeral. They were very strict. And my last point about them was, a curse beyond anybody who doesn't follow these. <laughs> these were my instructions. The coffin shall be supplied by the undertakers, and it should be simple and cheap. Secondly, the hearse shall take the corpse from the mortuary directly to the grave, and not to my home, and not to the church. Three, there shall be no funeral service, either at home or at the church. Four, the hymns that will be sung will be selected by me, and so I gave them a list. And they should only sing it for those moments while the coffin is being lowered. There should be no speeches, no preaching, no ceremony, and no wreaths. Absolutely none. Seven, absolutely no slaughtering of any beast of any sort. Not even a chicken. 
and no food provision of any kind. Eight, the burial or funeral shall take place three after my certified death and not any longer. And the funeral shall take place any day of the week and there should be no waiting for friends, relatives, or church people to travel. Second last, all expenses shall have been paid by me for this and there shall be no money collected or given for my funeral. And then lastly, I put a curse on anybody who didn't obey this. I'm going to change from the first, first voice to, to the personal. This great man, Nicholas Bengu, he turned parts of South Africa right side up. And something that he was known for was the power of the Holy Spirit and a turning back to God. And what does it mean to turn back to God? And I put it to you that it's the fear of God. I put it to you that it's a passion for prayer. And lastly, it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to break down this verse for you. Jesus speaking says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So I want to look at these three things which, which really exemplified the Back to God movement. Firstly, the fear of God. So it's been said, you can read about his life, Nicholas Bengu, and he was called Mkulu affectionately, that he taught and he imparted the fear of God. So what is the fear of God? Yes, it's a respect for God. It's a reverence. It's an admiration. It's an obedience. And yes, contrary to what people might tell you, it does also mean actual fear. And Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Now let me try to help you understand the fear of God. The fear of God is this. It's a revelation that there is a God and it's not me. <laughs> the fear of God is, is Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia. Remember where she says about Aslan, is he a tame lion? And the answer is, Aslan is not a tame lion, but he's good. The fear of the Lord, and, and, and let me try to just explain it to you in the context of, of my family. My, my great boys, who I think are awesome, as every parent thinks their children are awesome. So I had this, this is how I imparted to my boys. I said to them, look, I will always endeavor to explain things to you. I'll always endeavor to take the long path of getting you on board so you get the heart of what I'm saying to you. However, there's got to be moments that I say to you, there's a rat in the kitchen, go get my sword. Okay? There's got to be moments of crisis and urgency where you don't need a long explanation as to why you're doing something. Just go do it, you know. I also said this to them, that if I've tried to impart something to you, and I've really tried, and you still don't get it, you still do it. So I remember first year, my one son, and he'd been involved in student politics all through high school. Well, not all through high school, grade 11 and 12. And uh, met with him, walked around Stellenbosch, and I, and I said to him, I don't want you being involved in student politics. I prayed for him. And he didn't get it. 
And I said to him, you don't get it, but I still want you to do it. And to his credit, he did it. Now that is like the fear of God. When you don't understand God's commandments, where you think, well, they don't fit. You know those doctrines that you don't like? Anybody got, anybody got verses in the Bible that you don't like? So you don't take tippics and tippics them out or tear them out the Bible. What you do is you bring them before the Lord in prayer and you say, God, I don't get this, but I will follow you. I will obey you. I will do what your word says. And that's a sign of the fear of God in your life. That God's word and what, who God is takes precedence than your preference and what you think about things. Adam Clark's commentary says the following. Walking in the fear of the Lord means keeping a continually tender conscience. Keeping your heart tender. It means understanding what sin is and hating it. It means having respect for the divine precepts. It means that you, you dread to offend God. And the fear of God brings a circumspect walking and reverence for God. So this week I was struggling in my heart with something. I just, you know, like when you just know that there's a part of your heart isn't lacquer. And in, in my case, I had an attitude towards somebody. I just knew the fear of God, I couldn't stay in that place. I couldn't stay in this place. I couldn't allow seepage of poison into my heart. Because of the fear of God, I'm saying, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to pray. I'm going to bring this before God. I'm going to ask for prayer. I'm going to get help. I'm not going to stay in a place of sin or bitterness or anger or attitude. But with the fear of God, I'm going to obey God's word, and I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to overlook, and I'm going to move forward. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the start of you living your life in a fabulous way with the fear of the Lord. Now, Jesus said to them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, and so they obeyed. There's got to be something in us when Jesus says it to us, that's good enough. It's good enough because God's word says it. So is the fear of God a New Testament? Is it New Testament? All through Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11 says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. In other words, there's action. In this case, it's evangelism. But there's action because of the fear of God. Revelations 14 verse 7 says, Fear God and give Him glory. Acts 10 2, Acts 10, 22, Acts 13, verse 16, commends men who fear God. Acts 9, verse 31, talks about revival that came, and it says they were walking in the fear of the Lord. Ephesians 5, verse 21, says that we should submit one to another out of the fear of God. Philippians 2, verse 12, says we should walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. Colossians 3, 22, says we should have a singleness of heart. And we should fear God. And it goes on and on and on. There needs to be the fear of God in our lives. Because this will keep us. And this will save us. And this will cause us to do the things. And this is what Nicholas Bengu preached. And the fear of God came upon people. And they repented and they turned. Don't live a life on offense. Don't live a half-baked Christian life. Don't live a lukewarm Christian life. It will not bring you joy. But have the fear of God and say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. Your word says it. I'm going to do it. The second thing that he was known for was prayer. Quoting from various books, it says, Bengu was a man of prayer. 
He spent many hours in prayer, in encounter with God, both for personal strength and for direction in ministry. And when Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem, you know how they did it? They did it through prayer. So when God says to you to wait, when God doesn't give you that answer that you need, you know what your stance should be? Your stance should be one of prayer, of crying out to the Lord. And what does Scripture tell us? It says we should rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. People come and say, I want to know the will of God for my life. And here it is. Rejoice. Pray without ceasing. Everything give thanks. You know, so often we worried about the big decisions of life. The big decisions of life. But you know what? It's usually the small decisions of life. It's like the small decisions. Am I going to pray today and the next day? Am I going to pray today? And am I going to read my Bible today? These are the ones that actually determine the course of your life. It's these small decisions, hundreds, which become thousands, that actually make up your life. It's not whether you live here or, you know, or in Nazna or in wherever. You know, those don't determine your life, but it's these small decisions which are actually not small decisions, which determine who you are. Talking about Bengu, he had a, pressure, he had a passion to pray in the Spirit. And he tells about when he was at Bible school and they went to pray in the chapel and they weren't supposed to. And they had an experience of speaking in tongues. And uh, everybody was like, keep it quiet. And when it quieted down, they tried to get back to their dormitories because the Bible school did not entertain this. And they tried to get through the door. And as it did, someone would burst into tongues again. I just want to say it's really important that as God has given you a prayer language of tongues, that you exercise it. There is such a power. There is such a power in it. Bengu was invited to um, a meeting of a very well-known missions movement um, in South Africa. And uh, he said to them, because they were cessationists, he says, how do those who deny speaking in tongues talk to God in private? And the Bible says, because then he quoted, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God. And there's something in us that is, sometimes we, are, we don't know what to pray. And we don't know what's coming. And we don't know the future. But God has given us this gift of tongues. And if you don't have it, then please come forward afterwards. You know what prayer is as well? Prayer is authenticity. Prayer is bringing your brokenness, your frustration. Like I told you, I had a frustrating week. I wasn't happy with myself. It's being authentic with God. Now, he sees it. But it's you being relational and you being full of faith and bring it before the Lord. William Carey said, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. And Martin Luther said, I'm so busy that if I did not spend three hours each day in prayer, I could not get through the day. Now, no condemnation, okay? <laughs> but that was for him. And lastly, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, there's nothing that tells the truth about us as Christians so much as our prayer life. Prayer delights God's ear. It melts his heart and it opens his hand. And God cannot deny a praying soul. Lastly, about prayer. The opposite of worry is prayer. 
And the opposite of prayer is worry. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything. The Greek word for everything is in English? Everything. In everything. What are your stresses? What are your strains? What are your anxieties? Everything. If you're worrying, you're probably not praying enough. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, remembering what he's done for you, let your request be known to God. Let's be like Nicholas Bengu, who saw great things happen and walked with God with such power. He was a man of prayer. And lastly, he was a man of the Holy Spirit. Quotes about him. He thirsted after the Holy Spirit, and he encouraged his people to seek the power of the Holy Spirit in ministry. Bengu was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He believed in the leadership of the Holy Spirit, both in his vision, preaching, and teaching. He obeyed the leading of the Spirit. Do you hear the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit lead you in your day, in your family, in your workplace, in the marketplace? This is the life that God has for us. We're meant to be following the leading of the Holy Spirit. So he tells them, he orders them not to depart, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And this is what God has for us. Now, there's some people, and I'm, I'm heading for a close now, there's some people who, who ask the question, but, but if I ask for the Holy Spirit, how do I know if it's real? And how do I know I'm not going to get something else? And Jesus, wanting to address that anxiety, he tells them in Luke 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, though you are worldly, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you want the Holy Spirit today, just come to the front and it happens for the most part through the laying of hands. And if you're not sure, that was me. You know, I got prayed for, then I wasn't sure, you know, so I went back again. If you're not sure, then just come up again and we'll pray for you just for the touch of God. Jesus is the baptizer. And we're not going to embarrass you or anything like that. But, but if, you, if you want more of God, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, then come forward. I conclude. Nicholas Bengu was a man who called people back to God. He called them back to the fear of God, which is about the honor of God. It's about, it's about letting God's word have final precedence. He called people to, being, to be passionate for prayer. And he called people to press in for the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we bow our heads in prayer together? Father, thank you for this incredible story, this incredible man who lived all out for you and turned so many back to God. If you're here this morning and, and you're on the outside looking in, the burden of sin, guilt is, is weighing you down. You're you caught in some kind of trap. You, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You, you want God, but you're on the outside. Maybe you've never given your heart to God. You've never said, I'm all in. I surrender. Or maybe you did that but you've drifted, you've turned away. Today we say to you, turn back to God. Turn back to God. And, and if you want to do that today, we want to help you. We want to pray for you. We want to help you on this journey. The Word of God says that if we confess Him before man, He will confess us before the Father. 
So I'm going to ask that if you want Jesus, if you want to come home, if you want to receive his forgiveness, you don't clean up your act, but you bring your life before him and he cleans you up. If you want Jesus, you want to come home, I'm going to ask you to be, be very bold and decisive and say, yes, I want it. And I want you to lift up your hand and say, that's me. I want Jesus. If that's you here today, just lift up your hand. Just saying, Jesus, I want you. So you're not like having an argument in your head. You're just saying decisively by lifting up your hand. Thank you, ma'am. See that hand. Thank you. See three or four hands. Church, can we all stand together? Just stand up. If you lifted up your hand, I'm going to ask that you come forward. I'm not going to give you the mic. I'm not going to make you say a speech. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Three, three ladies, you lift up your hand. Why don't you just come forward, please? Just celebrate as they come forward. This is great. This is the most important thing you can do. This is the most important thing you can do. So, so we want to give you some literature and we want to help you. But before we do, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And uh, I want you to pray this prayer aloud. And just believe in your heart. And that's all that's required. It's not a religion that we have to do this and do this and do that. It's not man-made. It's what Jesus has done. And His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness comes. All we need to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. So I want you to declare this, declare this with me and choice. join me as we do this. Lord Jesus, I repent. I turn from doing it my way. And I choose to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I receive you as my Savior. I declare that you are Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. And we pray for these ladies. And we pray from today, never the same. Never the same, Lord God. Let the power of sin be broken. Lord God, every curse be broken. The demons flee, Lord God. And from today, Lord God. That we experience life and life abundantly. In Jesus' name. Amen.